The common laws were built basically on Judeo-Christian principles. But now, there seems to be a move to turn totally away from Christian principles, to deny even the relevance of Christianity, the relevance of, of, of God. And see, once the society does that, the consequences will be swift. Hello guys, we're rolling into another episode of Conversations with me, Manuel. Um, today I'm very excited to have someone that I've wanted to have here for a long time. But finally, uh, I'm having him with me. Um, that's Olufemi Ugutoku. He's a lawyer and a host of On the Lord's Side, a radio program that seeks to engage the culture with the mind of Christ. Mr. Olufemi, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Manuel. Thanks for having me on your program. It's a yeah. pleasure. Same, same. I believe we've been just having a brief uh, introduction before now. So can you just let the audience really know who you are? I know I've given just a brief uh, background yes. of you, but a more elaborate one, please. <laughs> a more elaborate one. <laughs> well, the name is Olufemi Ogutokun. I'm a lawyer by profession. Currently, I, I run the Gospel Best Radio. The Gospel Best Radio is an internet radio set up to engage the contemporary culture with the mind of Christ. So it's a Christian talk radio on the internet. And as you rightly mentioned, I have this regular podcast on the Lord's side. On every episode of On the Lord's Side, we identify a topical issue in the news, in politics, or in the culture. And we ask ourselves whether the angles to that topical issue align with the mind of Christ. So basically what we do generally at Gospel Best Radio and on that podcast on the Lord's side is to propagate the Christian worldview, to place it side by side with the culture, with politics and with the news. All right, before we get in depth into that, I just want to know, are you also practicing law or have you... Left yes, yes, I practice, I practice, I practice fully. I've been practicing since 2002, so I practice fully. That's how I earn a living. So Gospel Best Radio is um, a passion or a Christian ministry, if you call it that. But I practice fully. It's, okay, so what, what, for the audience, what side of the law do you um, major in? Okay, so we basically do documentation and we advise on transactions. So commercial transactions and documentation, that's our, that's our forte. So how, how was that, you know, also, I believe you want to, in a sense, be a Christian lawyer as you're also <laughs> engaging the mind of Christ in terms of politics and all that. So how do you have that balance as a lawyer and a Christian? Because, I mean, growing up, we always had this notion that all lawyers are liars, and so we're advised to stay away from, <laughs> from the lawyers. Law. So, yeah. so you say... That's a question every lawyer dreads when he's I mean, invited to be interviewed. How can you be a Christian and be a lawyer? Well, I usually take it as a joke that the person asking is just, you know, trying to 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 humor to humor lawyers. Of course, maybe that's what I'm also doing now. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Of course, we all know there is nothing incompatible with the practice of law and and the Christian faith. Mm. As with all professions, there are opportunities to, to do what is wrong, to do what is unchristian, to do what is ungodly. But very clearly, one can be a good Christian and be a good lawyer as well. I mean, it's always, it boils down always to the choices that one decides to make. I mean, it's, it's interesting just thinking of that, I'm reminded again that, you know, I believe as a Christian, we, we realize that God is the ultimate lawgiver in that sense. And so mm -hmm. having that also at the back of our minds will also yes. help one who is a lawyer and a Christian in, in that sense. Exactly. Exactly. Because if you now look at public law mm -hmm. and a lawyer's engagement with public law, then in fact, I would say that going down that lane, then brings up what we try to do on our podcast on the Lord's side. But when we engage with the culture, we engage with news or politics, inevitably we're engaging with the legal system and the law. 
because there is a confluence, of course, of the legal system and the culture and politics and the news. So a Christian lawyer sets out, believing that God is the ultimate lawgiver. And there is a, um, a course that most undergraduate take, I think it's a compulsory course, Nigerian universities for law students, it's called jurisprudence, it's like the philosophy of law. And there are different schools. When, when the question is posed, what makes a law valid? There are different schools. Some schools will say that, well, when the ultimate authority in a political setting gives validity to it, then it is valid. But I believe that it must conform with certain moral principles, but I believe that it must conform with certain um, generally accepted norms in society. But there are the Christian philosophers who believe that all laws derive their validity from God, such so that there was a time in the past when the position was that a Christian has a duty not to obey a law that is incompatible with the law of God, right? Of course, I, I'm going to put a disclaimer. The position of the law is that if a law has been properly passed, then it is binding on society. I'm not advocating for people to, to evaluate law on their own basis, but I'm just buttressing the point that a Christian, not even a Christian lawyer, must always admit that God is the ultimate lawgiver and that it is from him that all human laws derive validity. So on that, on that point, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there, there's always that tension, isn't it? Um, for let's say one who, as you said, you're not advocating for people to disregard laws in a society as it were, mm. but for a Christian that sees that a law in the land is directly, you know, against his belief, his faith. I believe the constitution also gives a room for freedom of religion in that sense, Absolutely. of freedom of conscience. And let's say, um, okay, for instance, now I'm running to an example in America, which might not be okay for the Nigerian context, but I mean, this is probably pro um, proper. Let's look at the example where the, the uh, baker in America, you know, yes. refuses to make a cake, cake for a same-sex union because yes. he believes that that is actually not um, a union that his faith agrees with. So yes. how, how do you come down to that? You know, this is the, the law of the land says this is a union that we approve of. Mm. And so you are discriminating, but you still have your faith. You want to hold on to it with the mindset that this is not proper for me, so I, I can't serve such um, allocation. So how do you come down on that? Well, you see, unfortunately, the society in the West and eventually here as well, the society in the West is moving in a post-Christian direction. And if society is moving that way, then the laws will reflect the direction in which society is moving. And that is why we have in many parts of Europe and in the United States, as you rightly cited, laws that, not to mince words, are incompatible with the Christian worldview. And the question you have posed is, how do we expect a Christian to engage with such laws? Are we to renounce laws that are validly made, though they are incompatible with our Christian worldview? Now, that example of the Christian baker, which went all the way to the, to the Supreme Court in the United States, is indeed a case in point. It's indeed a case in point. And we must salute the courage of that baker, who then said, look, I have my God-given talents to make cakes and to design cakes, and I choose not to apply those talents in a fashion that is incompatible with my faith. That was his position. And then the position from the other side, from the state, was that, look, if you reason that way, then you'll be discriminating against certain people, against a couple of same sex. But you see, we have to draw the line. It is very clear, and thank God for how the Supreme Court determined that matter, that that is not a case of discrimination. It is actually a case of 
the freedom to exercise one's conscience and one's religion. Now, will there eventually be a conflict between discrimination laws and conscience rights? That's the crux of the matter. And that is the battle that Christians will have to fight very, very soon in the West. And ultimately, because I always say this on, on, on my podcast, we cannot assume that things taking place in Canada or in the UK or in the US are isolated. I mean, it is impossible to isolate them anymore. We are all in the same in the same boat, so to say, because we listen to the same news. We are all in the same Twitter sphere, right? And one idea, once it is legitimized anywhere in the world, we'll find its way everywhere, everywhere in the world. And you see, younger people who listen to news, who consume um, movies and and music, and who follows stars from the West, of course, we begin to question our own situation as well. I say, well, if in the West this is what my hero believes, why do we have a, a contrary belief here in Nigeria? So these ideas will find their ways here. But the duty, as we say it, those of us who are Christian, is to educate one another to point out these incompatibilities and to point out our duty to remain on the Lord's side, always, always. So you see, the eventual conflict will be between the freedom of religion and discrimination laws. Because those who push all these liberal policies, those who push them, the basis on which they push them is to say that people who do not identify as a Christian think that they should identify, deserve to be protected, deserve to be respected, deserve not to be discriminated against. And you see, nobody is against that. Nobody is against that. The core tenet of Christianity is love, love of God and love of neighbor. So there is no Christian who would proceed on the basis that one should discriminate against somebody who holds a contrary view. No Christian would say that. However, when there is a conflict between the right to freely express one's faith and the so-called right against discrimination, when there is a conflict, a Christian must not hesitate to stand for his faith. I mean, we, we can't deny the fact that most of these things are a battle of ideas and perspectives and worldviews, you know, mm. let's say. So ultimately, people who have a particular worldview will see things in a particular way, in a sense. But for us as Christians, we have the Christian worldview. And so it's important yes. that we think in line with that. So what do you think are the basic tenets um, of the Christian worldview? Okay, the basic tenets of the Christian worldview, I would say that, and, and I think I mentioned it in passing, I think it was somewhere in Luke, maybe in Luke 10, but clearly when our Lord was asked for the two greatest commandments, and he mentioned it, the love of God followed by the love of neighbor. I would say these are the two greatest tenets, these are the tenets of the Christian faith. Love God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. But see, when we, begin, when we now begin to break down the, the, those two commandments, we see that it covers everything. Because if you love God with all your heart, then his word, his commandments, his laws, then take precedence above all else. And that is why a Christian cannot, you know, entertain laws that are incompatible with the scriptures. Because he has a duty to love God with all his heart. And loving God means not just calling him Lord on the lips, but acknowledging him as Lord. Meaning he's the master, he's the Lord who, who deserves to be respected, who deserves to be honored, whose word is law. So a Christian is called to regard the word of God as law. And then to love his neighbor as he loves himself. And there is nothing incompatible 
between those two, the love of God, the, the, love, the, the injunction to love God and the injunction to love one's neighbor. So because I mean, God is love, all the laws of God are directed at edifying his children, promoting unity, promoting love among his, among his children. So the question is, what are the tenets of the Christian faith? It's love, love of God with all of one's heart and love of one's neighbor as oneself. So to take a step backwards, um, have you always thought in these lines um, as a Christian? Have you always you know, tried to engage the news, politics, um, your field, everything? Or was there a particular time in life and occasion or something that triggered it? In a sense? Well, I, I wouldn't say I've always tried to do this. I've always been a Christian and then I became a lawyer. Then naturally one would have some influences along the way that would then open one's mind to an issue that one thinks deserves one's attention. So I mean, along the way I started listening to a number of um, public commentators and preachers. The, I would say the most influential of all of them would be Dr. Abat Mola is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in the United States. So he has a program, in fact, called The Briefing, where he engages, to use, to use that expression, with current affairs and tries to point people to the incongruities in the public space with the Christian faith. Okay. So, so I'll call him an influence, and I would say that it was when I started listening to commentators such as himself that I also had a passion, developed a passion. I developed a passion for, for this space. And not just a passion, but a concern as well. A concern. There is no way that anyone would look at what is going on in the West and not be alarmed. You have to be alarmed. Where is that society going? And then with the benefit of the history of the West, then what is happening becomes even more alarming. This is a society that was once, not say, not say not Christian, but was clearly influenced by Christian principles. All the institutions in the West were built on Christian principles. In fact, they, they received a common law from England that forms the base of our law in Nigeria as well. The common laws were built basically on Judeo-Christian principles. But now, there seems to be a move to turn totally away from Christian principles, to deny even the relevance of Christianity, the relevance of, of, of God. And so once the society does that, the consequences will be swift. And the question I kept asking myself has been this, could this happen in Nigeria? Could this happen in Africa? Africa is known to be religious. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not advocating um, being religious for the sake of it. I know there are people who would say, "Well, Africa has been so religious, but what do we have to show for it? We have crimes." Another. That's another question which I, I, I'm, I'm happy to to address. But the question is, is it possible that we're going to get to a stage where our children, as well, would turn their back on the worship of Christ? You know, and then the stage where practices and actions that are clearly condemned in the Bible would become the norm. Today in Nigeria, it is difficult for anybody to see such a future. We'll say, no, no, never in Nigeria. There can never become the norm in Nigeria that, well, um, men of the same sex would proudly announce themselves as such in the public space. Some people say no, 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 that they cannot contemplate such a future in Nigeria. We have the churches, we have uh, culture, whatever tradition, no, no, it can never happen. But hey, there was a time in the West as well when it was not within reasonable contemplation that that would, be, that would become the norm, right? And you see, for people who think from a Christian worldview, it is, again, and I repeat this, it's not about discriminating against people who practice um, things that are not Christian or biblical. It's not that. 
it is that when a society begins to normalize principles, beliefs, and practices that are not Christian, it goes beyond just normalizing it. What a society is doing is ultimately to discredit the Bible. Many liberal thinkers, if they would confess to it, what they want to see is a post-religious world, a post-God world. That's what they want to see. And that is where they're ultimately going. So I, so I tell people that, see, when people insist that our children should be taught that there are more than two genders, when they say, look, the curriculum in our schools should include courses saying that there are more than two genders. Why? Because our children need to know the world around them. Don't indoctrinate them with what you be. Let them know the world around them so that they are not taken by surprise when they go out and they see that somebody is not identifying as either male or female. And I tell people, so what that worldview is, is, is attempting to do is to discredit the Bible. So imagine a child who has been exposed to such education. Now, when that child begins or becomes able or mature enough to read the Bible and he reads what Genesis says, that male and female created them, what's he going to say? He's going to say, what book is this? What a cake book is this? I've been taught that there are multiplicity of genders. So it's going to see that's an a cake book, definitely. So, well, if it was a good book at some point in history, it no longer is. That is what such a child would, that's the conclusion that such a child would reach. That maybe the Bible was a good book at some point, but no, it no longer is. So that's the danger of normalizing these practices, these beliefs. And we're not saying those practices and beliefs are not good because they would discredit the Bible. No, we're not afraid that they could discredit everything. I mean, ultimately, they won't succeed. We are saying that the law of God is perfect. Perfect for the human society because God created us in society. So any attempt to turn away from it is, is, is a recipe for, for disaster. Any attempt to turn away from the law of God, which is perfect and given to us, for our own good. It's a recipe for disaster. And that's what we are concerned for our society. Yeah. Um, some years ago, I think about three years ago, I attended um, an event in Lagos. But during that event, um, there was this conversation. It definitely wasn't a Christian event. It was an atheist. Uh, it was a group of atheists, in a sense. And during that event, uh, most of them were lamenting that as kids, you know, they were being indoctrinated by their parents and all that they were being forced to go to church and, and things like that. And so one of the speakers actually did say, you know, if those people are indoctrinating their children, in a sense, as Christians, why don't we also indoctrinate our own children? So I, I, when, when I'm told uh, that you shouldn't indoctrinate kids, allow them to, you know, to be open-minded, I tell, see, there is something that will influence you. Something has to influence yes. you. There's no vacuum in it. Something, so if, if as a parent, if as a parent you don't influence your child, call it indoctrination, fine, or whatever. If you don't influence your child, something with maybe TV, um, the secular world out there, his or her friends. Yes. If, they, if you don't, if you're not the primary influence on your kids, some, something or someone. Something else. So, space. Exactly. So what, what do you think in all this? What, what do you think should be the role of, of parents in, in the life? Because, I mean, I fear for even my own generation, as young as Absolutely. I am, talk less of the next, of, your, exactly the next. of the next generation, in a sense. Because whether we like it or not, the world... I don't know. Maybe I'll ask you if you're optimistic or pessimistic. The world is <laughs> moving fast and fast away from, I mean, it's not like the world hasn't been moving away from God, but it's like we're being awakened to the fact that things are getting worse. Yes. And so if, and part of, you can look at um, the Black Lives Matter movement and all that, part of yeah. what they're attacking is the nuclear family. And so if, if, even if we don't have that, that group, in a sense, the, the family, to hold us together, then what else are we going to have? So what, what do you think 
should be the, the influence of parents in the lives of their kids, especially at this, this time. Okay, okay. thank you. And I'm, and I'm going to say that, you see, all these concerns that you have expressed and that I've mentioned earlier on are the same concerns that Moses had when the Israelites left Egypt and had to pass through pagan towns and had to inherit some of the pagan um, territories. And I know this is not a Bible um, preaching platform, but I'm going to cite Deuteronomy 6-7, right? To tell you what the expectation is of Christian parents. This is what was said to the Israelites about the loss of God. It says 6 7, Deuteronomy 6 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That's what God expects from Christian parents. And that version says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. What does that tell us? The same thing you mentioned. Because it was clear to Moses that if children are left as tabula rasa, empty, empty slates, Somebody's going to write on those slates. Something else will fill the space. And so he said, look, for your children, maybe you have seen what God has done for you. Maybe you have seen what is right. But A, to keep these in your society forever, let one generation impress it on the next, talking about it over and over and over and over again. So when they say that, look, you are teaching your children the Bible and telling them about this what Bible says, don't listen to that, that you are indoctrinating them. My position is Christians should wear that garb with pride, with honor. Yes, I'm indoctrinating my children. That is the instruction of God. I mean, how, how do you explain that, that version of the Bible? God wants us to indoctrinate our children with the laws of God. Why? Because there is the other side. There's the other side always trying to write things contrary to God's law on the hearts of the children. So the, the, the easiest way to capture society is to say that um, parents don't owe the primary duty of raising the children. And if that sounds familiar, it is because, you know, in the West, we've been pushing that. It is not the parents' primary duty, it is the state that has the primary duty to educate children. It is not... From a, from a biblical point of view, it is the parents who have the duty, the God-ordained duty, first to instill the law of God in the heart of, of the children, and then trusting that they will not depart from it. So that's the role of the family. We cannot run away from it. We are called to indoctrinate our children in the way of God. We should not, we should not shy away from it. So practically speaking, um, just how do you think parents can do this? Can do this. Well, probably speaking, is the most effective way is by laying a good example. As psychologists have told us over and over again, children learn more by watching, observing what their parents do. If a child observes that his parent or her parents are always prayerful, always talking about things from a godly perspective. I mean, he's going to grow up to at least have his interests ignited towards that area, basically. And then they now also teach. They talk about it. Just as I read from that scriptural part, they talk about it. When any issue comes up, they talk about it, they laugh about it, but then they immediately point that child to the Bible and say, Look, this is so funny, but you know that something God said about it. Oh, what did God say? Oh, it was with when Moses met this, when Abraham did this. Oh, really? So the child begins to appreciate that hmm, all these things happen in the culture. They have um, they have passages from the Bible that shed more light on them, or that corrects what we have accepted as the norm. You know. So I'll say first, important in this example a godly example, a Christian example, and followed by 
teaching, teaching by having conversations with children, you know, no matter how young, just talking to them, talking to them. Let's not be absorbed in our own lives. Talk to your children, talk to them, watch the same TV shows. And as the show is going on, if you can pause your TV, pause it and say, look, you know what you just said? Discuss it, air the child's view, and then put forward the, 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 the Christian viewpoint as well. I always do that with my daughter. We are always something. I once, once I press the pause, the <laughs> daddy, daddy wants to say something. <laughs> so, what do you think about this? He says what she feels, and then I said, "But do you know that that is a person in the Bible that says this?" Okay. I mean, she begins to understand, and then of course the most important, the final one is prayer. We are praying that oh, let's pray that these ideas will sit well with this child, and ultimately that God will you know call that child. As his, as his own. That's great. I mean, so I mean, example, yeah. teaching, constant teaching, and then prayers. That would be my recommendation. Those would be my recommendation. Absolutely. And I think, it, especially the first part, examples, I mean, it's exactly. not just, yes. you know, trying to ram things, you know, through the book. Let them see, see it in, in your life also. And I think also, part of, part of that teaching, what I've, I've learned personally is allowing people to ask questions, especially young people. I mean, let them be free to ask you anything. True. I even I, I tell my friends who you know are not Christians in a sense, when they bring up certain things, they, they come to me and they're like, okay, they don't want to offend me. I'm like, no, no, I, no, I, yeah, I this is it. I'm absolutely convinced that the Bible is true. I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And so in the end, the truth wins. So whatever yeah. objection you have. I'm ready to have it. Let's discuss. So I think when we have that mindset also, allowing people to ask questions, to ask questions. challenging me. And if we do not know answer, uh, know the answers, we could say, yes, I do not know the answer. So, but we can, you know, try to study this and see, because I believe yes. that there will be um, an answer. There will be a way to, to, to get through, through it. I, 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 I agree with you, absolutely. I will have to be open to asking questions from our children, from the next generation, from our friends, even from those who disagree with us, we also have, have, have to be open to, to answer those questions. And if you don't mind, I can, I can cite a Bible passage that says we should be open to, to asking questions. I think it's from Peter, it's from First Peter, but, if, but I get it. But it says, look, you should always be ready to give an answer when someone asks you for the reason, for the hope you have in you. So that's our calling. We should not shy away from that. And as you rightly mentioned, it's one of the, the most effective way of mentoring, mentoring children. I know to be more politically acceptable to say we should mentor our children and not indoctrinate them. But so, so it's one of the most effective ways to, to mentor them. They say, look, if you have questions, open up. And then when they see something, they themselves will come to you and say, look, somebody said this on TV. Is that right? Mm -hmm. okay, what do you think? Do you think it's right? Then he or she says this and this, and you try to guide them. Guide them. So I agree totally. I mean, there, there, there are lots of um, there are lots of parts I could go with this, but as you just mentioned, the news. I think maybe that's um, a good one to look at. Again, people could say, "I I don't have the time to do all this, you know, examinations and you know, looking at things from." That kind of perspective i don't really have the time to devote to it because they are i mean we are on the social media platform there are lots of things bombarding us every day from the news and all this and we have the whole media narrative what they want to you know ram down through us and what they want us to to sort of believe or take and you know take in and say okay this is what it is this is how it is this is how they want us to live our lives so how do you how do you um how do you sort of examine this especially on the thing given the thing you do on your podcast how do you look at the news as a christian and what are the important things that you you sort of pick and and, and look at okay so <laughs> a very interesting question right and i'll and i'll and i'll say this and i'll kind of counsel people this way given the state that we are in right now 
everybody must come to realize that every news source is trying to push a worldview. Virtually all news sources are trying to push different worldviews. Now, it's not always prudent to say all. So I can take that, but maybe not all. That means still based on sources that are devoted to just reporting the news. But the majority of news outlets, both the um, official news outlets or the uh, the established media outlets and even small outlets, they are trying to push a worldview. And consumers of news must reconcile with that fact. Now, I want to reconcile with that fact. The next going to ask is once a news item is presented, we should take the pains to read and not just go away with the headlines. So you read a headline, that headline is not reporting the news, it's already selling you a viewpoint. And people go away with that viewpoint. For example, it says, oh, old family is a liar, he said this and this. That's already like editorializing, they're already telling us, you're just pushing a viewpoint. Old family is a liar. He said so and so. But if you ask yourself, is so so and so true or false? Maybe then click it and read what he said. And after reading it, we all have a duty to then go to Lufemi's page and look, did he actually say it? Is it the same context that he said it? But you see, a person would take the pain to do all that if that person agrees and realizes that news outlets are trying to sell us more than news nowadays. That's the truth. They're trying to sell us more than news. They're trying to sell us worldviews. And some will say it's because of the way the internet is organized, that you know, all the outlets are on the internet and revenue is usually tied to, to traffic, traffic to their sites. So because revenue is tied to that, they try to use headlines that will be catchy enough to make people engage and in the process they want to appeal to if you feel people in this area are, are pro-conservative views well then you couch your headlines in the way that will catch the attention and if the other people are not you know maybe that's maybe that's the objective of some but the the reality is news reporting entities are selling what views and then we also need education in distinguishing between the news and viewpoints. You know, in the very old days, we used to have just news yeah. and then a section for viewpoints and opinions. It's opinion now. So if a, a, a preacher says something, you may have, oh, preacher XYZ says this discriminating against LGBT. Now, that writer discriminating against them is already expressed an opinion. Why don't you let the reader read what that preacher said and let that reader make up his own mind to say, oh, what they have said is discriminatory. Or if the publisher feels it is discriminatory, why won't the publisher then go to the opinion page and say that, look, we reported yesterday that Bija says this. I'm now setting out why what he said is discriminatory. So the news, which is the reporting of facts, is different from opinions and viewpoints. But now we have a convergence of the two of them. They are now confused together. And unfortunately, many consumers may not be able to distinguish one from the other. So once they read, oh, if this reputable news platform says this, oh, then that man is bad. And if this reputable news platform says this, then that man is good, which is a very dangerous, a very dangerous position that the world is heading towards. Very dangerous position. And that's why the internet is good. The internet is good in the sense that it allows platforms like yours, you know, to, to, have, to, to, to have an audience. You have, a, you have an audience who will listen to you and then listen to alternative viewpoints. Otherwise, we would all be at the mercy of, of, um, of media outlets trying to sell us 
a viewpoint. So it is important, very important in engaging with the news to look at the news source. And some news sources are notorious for who they stand for. And are you notorious? Maybe not, not in, in not in not not in negative sense, but in, but in the sense that they do not hide it. So this is what we stand for. This is the viewpoint we stand for. If it is LGBTQ rights, we are in support. If it is this, we are in support. And you have others who, who know that look, they are always not against. So you know their sources. So if I see a news item from a certain media house, if it catches my attention, I'm going to investigate some more. And usually, by the time you go to the other sources, you find that, oh, maybe it's not really as bad as has been painted. Maybe it was just a statement, and then they're already interpreting it some other way. So it's a, it's a confusing world, <laughs> if I mean, it's the whole that we live in now. And I know to link to that question you asked, are you optimistic about the future of the world? You know, except for the fact that God is in control and in charge. Otherwise, you know, the world is really heading towards what could be a huge crisis. And it's going to be about information, disinformation, and, uh, and fake news. I want us to be careful when we say fake news, it is not the people crying fake news, who are condemning fake news, that are in the that are necessarily against fake news. Sometimes it is fake news calling news fake news. So that's how confusing uh, the the system is right now. I mean, for for me, the most dangerous ones basically are those who claim to be objective, but they're actually not. I mean, for me, <laughs> for me personally, even when you visit um, website and all that, and even those who, who do write for, for me once in a while. I tell them this is how we're approaching things. This is basically approaching the news and whatever commentary we write from a Christian perspective, with the exception of one person that doesn't really do that. Every other person I tell them this is yes. that I left that for for that reason, for just for people to kind of appreciate a diversity of thoughts. But we're not, in a sense, um, yeah. <laughs> silent of the fact that this is who we are. This is how we approach it. So exactly. I, I believe if people are quite honest with who they are and what they stand for, okay, we are liberals, we are conservative. Okay, yeah, I know where you're coming from. But when you now say that, you know, I'm objective, I don't have any bias, Objective, in a sense. Exactly. Exactly. It, it makes it exactly. more difficult. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and that's the danger. Outlets presenting themselves to be objective are proving themselves not to be truly objective. Mm -hmm. That is what, what they, are, they are pushing forward as well. So it's okay, as you said, for a news outlet to say, well, this is what we stand for. Then anybody consuming news from that outlet will then know, oh, this is what they stand for. I understand when I see the headline like this. You know, but to, to say that look, I'm objective, but in fact, to be pushing a viewpoint is is doing a disservice to the truth, to the truth. Um, so um, I believe that Nigeria is multi-tribal, and we have lots yes. of. But the West has its own cultural battles. What do you think? You know, is the primary cultural battle and issue facing Nigeria as, as a country? Hmm. I would say the primary cultural battle that we fight in Nigeria, right, is also linked to the West in some way, <clears throat> and it's the <clears throat> danger of wholesale inculcation of prevailing, of the prevailing culture in the West. That's one, that's part of the greatest cultural battle we need to fight now. We have mentors, we have role models in the West, and we have to be careful to domesticate what we get from them with what we have received and have been taught here. Both our Christian uh, beliefs and our cultural beliefs as well. So there was a day that 
In fact, I, go, I should have started this example when you asked me that question of what led to the Lord's side. I mean, this was one of the incidents that made it more imperative to begin that podcast. I was discussing with a female friend, a younger female friend, younger by maybe uh, by maybe almost 10 years. So that was, I cannot remember what the news item was, but we were having this, it was a chat. And I said, really, do you think that this person should be, you really want this person should be, that this person should be deplatformed? I was saying that, look, that the rights of expression, freedom of expression. And she responded by saying, oh, no, no, no. Freedom of expression is a creation of the elite to do X, Y, Z. I said, what? Freedom of expression is the creation of the elite to perpetuate their viewpoints and all that. I was alarmed. So that told me that, look, these same views that are propagated in the West to shut down debates, our people are believing them here. We are just receiving, because, I mean, if it is DSTV, if it is the internet, who has more content? It's from the West. Even our local content try to aspire to conform to Western standards and Western cultural norms. So people are listening to all these people. If you have a celebrity in the West as your hero, whatever he says on his Twitter feed, the tendency is for that person to take it as the gospel truth. So if your Twitter hero says, oh, freedom of expression is a creation of the elite, you need to shut it down, then you're also repeating it to me here and saying that, look, no, 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 no. Let's deplatform this person, take him off Twitter, take him off Facebook. And I say, why? What of his right to freedom of experience? No, no, freedom of experience is a creation of, of the elite. There's something more dangerous than that. You know, and then freedom of expression is another topic that maybe if I get a project to come on your show again, then we can discuss because that's something that is very close to my heart as well. You can't deplatform people, even people you don't agree with. You can't shut them down. Listen to them. Listen to them. The solution to fake news, the solution to negative to positions you don't agree with, is to raise your own volume. Have a platform as well. Talk about it. Like what you're doing now. If if ten shows, ten programs are dedicated to propagating viewpoint A. Well, if you don't give viewpoint A, no matter how bad you feel about it, then start your own platform as well and propagate your own viewpoint. But to say that, look, what they are saying is so bad, so horrible, we should deplatform him. He should not be heard on Facebook, not on Twitter, not on not anywhere. That's a dangerous one. If we agree to such a consensus, if we agree that is the right way to go, then the time will come when our own viewpoint as well will be seen as controversial or unacceptable, and then someone will say that we should be deplatformed. Finally. So, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Say what you want to say. So I want to say, so I just wanted to write up to say that what I see as the cultural battle in Nigeria and perhaps most of Africa is the danger of our generation and the next just adopting values from the West without sifting them on the basis of um, of our religious it is. Finally, I think we've, we've talked about the role of the family and parents in this. Um, but again, I don't, I don't think that God has called believers and Christians as it were, to win a cultural war. Yeah, <laughs> no. So what do you think um, should be the right role of the church in all this when it comes to the whole media thing, um, the internet and you know, influencing the young generation? And yes. you know, speaking in society and all that, what do you think should be the primary role of, of the church in all, in all of it? Exactly. So I, I like that I've said that we are not called to win a cultural war. What we are called is to preach as Christians, to preach Christ as Lord. Christ as Lord, Christ as Lord, Christ as Lord. So the role of the church is to keep that message that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he came, he died for our sins, he has risen, he's coming back to, to, to judge the world. That message is sufficient for the church. And the church should not be tempted to engage in cultural wars. No, 
See, every other thing we call in place, if the judge discharges its role as the defenders of the Christian faith, as the propagators of the Christian faith, teach the members of the church to accept Jesus as Lord in all areas of life, then other things will fall in place. So that's the role of the church. It should be that. I always decide that the role of the church is about engaging in social in social wars. And some something that some people find controversial, I say first was on earth. There was slavery. He did not set about to fight and abolish slavery. When Christ was on earth, his country was occupied by the Romans. Many Jews did not like the Romans then. He did not take that up as a cause because it was after something deeper, something ultimate, which is the salvation of the soul. And of course, he knew that once the soul is saved, once the person is spirit-filled, you see, the spirit will teach us all things. So all these things will fall in place. When the somebody is spirit-filled, you will know that you don't hold somebody in slavery. You know that you don't deal with somebody else badly. You know that you should forgive. So it fall in place. So the primary thing is what we should not, we should not abandon to proclaim Jesus as Lord and knowing that anybody who accepts him as Lord will be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will guide that person in all things. So that to me is the role of the church, to focus on that and other things will, will take shape. Thank you so much for, for that. I really, really, I really appreciate your insight and your time. Thank Thanks you. For, thank you, Marley. Thank you for having me on this program, finally. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. I believe sometime again we, we're going to do, we're going to do something else sometime. By God's thank grace, you. by God's grace. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Marley.